I just don't care about Chris Pine. I don't know. Maybe it's just something about ah! him. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying it to make you matter. Why? Why would he? <laughs> He's so pretty. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Two Guys, a Girl, and a Comic Book Podcast. My name is Andy. Along with me are Kelsey and Ryan, and tonight we have a giant-sized podcast. I don't know if it's necessarily giant-sized, but we definitely have a lot to talk about. We've got uh, some brand new films that are coming out from a couple of studios. We have a casting call from a show that we mentioned last week. Suicide Squad finally has one of its uh, missing roles filled and we have some rumors for a couple of uh, characters that are getting tv shows or will be appearing in movies in the future Uh, along with that we have the premiere of a comic starring a private detective who's a duck uh, (laughs) two inhumans finding love and uh, the third episode of our star wars marvel comic that's coming out along with a whole lot more issue yeah (laughs) did i say episode again yeah oh man i guess because star wars is commonly like episode whatever it's a little more yeah understanding for star wars but uh yeah at any rate uh (laughs) issue number three of that star wars comic is what i was mentioning and uh you hear kelsey and ryan of course laughing at my fumble there how are you guys doing (laughs) pretty pretty good not gonna lie tomorrow off so i'm happy oh my god you, you bastard I've got stuff to do tomorrow, but I do have the day off. Anyways, without, you know, getting too far off topic, the first thing that we need to talk about (laughs) is the fact that uh, Sony has announced they plan on making Ghostbusters into a film franchise and making another film after uh, Paul Feig's female-led Ghostbusters film that will make another Ghostbusters film with uh, Ivan Reitman and Dan Aykroyd involved, and that they're looking to kind of stretch this out to more than one movie. Uh, I put money on it that it's not going to happen. Yeah. I I really hope you're right, because, (laughs) oh my gosh, there is nothing that I want less than another Ghostbusters movie on the heels of this female-led one that doesn't include the cast. I don't that would be like when we got two Hercules movies that no one gave a shit about, like one starring that kid from Twilight and one starring The Rock. Kid from Twilight? Yeah. Wait, Kellen, really? Kellen Lutz. Yeah. Uh, when did that happen? Like right around the same time as the one with The Rock. I didn't even know oh. that happened either. Yeah, that's a real movie. Um, except yeah. this time around, like, no one would just give a shit about Sony's movie. I just, I don't understand. Like, wh- yeah, why? Sounds, like, honestly, like, my gut reaction when I heard that is like, oh, cool, somebody was just a piece of shit about it. And it's like, well, there was an old girl version. <laughs> that was, like, my gut reaction, too, and I'm kind of, like, I don't know if that's true, but it kind of seems like it. Yeah, like, that's just the feeling I get from it, even though, like, allegedly people have been in talks about this for, like, a while. And I'm pretty sure that lady, Amy Pascal, who was in, like, the heart of, like, that whole fucking controversy with shit at Sony, like, I'm pretty sure she's, like, one of the producing partners or something. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, Joe and Anthony Russo, who uh, helmed the Captain America Winter Soldier movie, are attached to this film. Drew Pierce, who wrote Iron Man 3 and Mission Impossible 5, I think it would be. And then also Channing Tatum is apparently attached to this project to star as one of the Ghostbusters. With yeah, Chris when I... Pratt. Wait, with Chris really? Pratt? That was announced as well? 
I hadn't Chris, heard that part. Yeah, Chris Pratt is rumored for it. Oh. See, the only part I had heard is about Channing Tatum because he, I read something that he wants to be like a producer of it because he really, really, really wants to be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, buy your roles in Hollywood's kids. Yeah, there's a bunch of Chris Pratt all over. His name's attached to it now on every like Screen Rant, IGN. Uh, they all are saying Chris Ooh. Pratt and Channing Tatum. Well, wow. Chris Pratt can do whatever he wants. We've already discussed this. If Chris Pratt is in Jurassic World and becomes Indiana Jones and he's Star-Lord and he's in Ghostbusters, he is king of the nerds. <laughs> the only thing he – like the only other thing he would need to do is like pop in in Star Wars for like a second for something. <laughs> he would hit all the bases there? Yeah. Just like yeah. a stormtrooper? Oh yeah. Oh, my gosh. He can be a stormtrooper that hits his head on something again. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, the rumors that I'm finding are are that they're both attached, but none of it is super confirmed. I just don't know how I feel about a Ghostbusters movie. I mean, I know Reitman and Aykroyd would be attached, but like with Harold Ramis dead, I don't even really want. Like, I'm that's why I'm so for the other one because it takes it in a new direction and like. I think that's the only way you can depart from Harold Ramis. I feel like a lot of people feel the same way as you do on that one. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Can't we just, like, appreciate that Ghostbusters is being made as a new film and not try to, like, milk it for every bit of money that we can? Um, evidently not, I guess says Sony. Good, right? yeah. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. It's, like, next year they're going to be like, we're rebooting Back to the Future, and then I'm going to just fuck Hollywood because... Yeah, we're just going to burn it down. Oh, God. It's only a matter of time. Well, it was only a matter of time until we got our new Rick flag for the upcoming Suicide Squad movie. And this time, it looks like we're going to have Joel Kinnaman, uh, who will be filling in the role of Rick Flag. Some people may not know that name right off the top of their head. He starred as Robocop in the most recent uh, 2014 remake. Didn't spend a lot of time, you know, unmasked in that movie, but... He wasn't bad in it, and he certainly looks like a s- stiff, tough, uh, you know, military <laughs> dude. I actually know him from The Killing, which I watched all of, um, and he was fucking awesome in that. Yeah. His, yeah, his character made that show. Uh, so I was really excited, actually, when they announced him as RoboCop because I had just finished, I think, like, season two, like, binge-watching through season two or <laughs> maybe even three on Netflix of The Killing. Uh, so when Tom Hardy dropped out, which I was very excited about, and then they possibly, they were saying Jake Gyllenhaal for a while, which I would have been fine with, but I'm also 100% cool with Joel Kinnaman because I want to see him in more stuff. I think he deserves to get, like, a lot bigger than he is. I'm not going to lie. I'm on his IMDb page, and I've literally never seen anything he's ever been in. You guys never watched The Killing? You didn't watch the 2001's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? No. Huh. Interesting. Uh, but The Killing is good. Uh, I totally spaced on that. I've watched maybe the first season or so. Uh, the Killing kind of gave me a bit of a like a like true detective vibe. vibe really? At times. Um not I'm nearly so behind as behind on my TV, man. Yeah, it's not <laughs> nearly as like flawlessly written as True Detective was, and it doesn't have McConaughey and Woody Harrelson just killing it. But it is good TV, definitely better than a lot of the stuff that ends up on there. It's one of the only AMC shows I could get through because they're such slow burns. 
but I really appreciated the murder mystery behind it, so I was able to get through the whole thing. Wait, the killing or yeah, the yeah. killing. I thought that was just on Netflix. No, no it's a uh, it. The fourth season was Netflix right. exclusive, but uh, the first okay. three were on AMC. Yeah. Just kidding. So I was like, I know I've seen it on there. I just never felt the need. I guess I don't know. I'll look into it. I'll see what's up. Yeah. So I mean, the thing is, we said it before when we were talking about Suicide Squad. Rick Flag isn't a super amazing deep character, but we hope that Joel Kinnaman brings some you know, extra spice there because you know, have to, he's leading the team. Exactly. (laughs) I think it'll be interesting to see the suicide squad movie, what ends up happening with like how the ensemble really ends up working out. Cause you know, like a true ensemble cast where no one really shines rarely happens. So it'll be interesting to see who the kind of people who get a little bit more spotlight out of this are. Mm hmm. I, I did read somewhere that uh, the Joker is going to be like scarred up and like like bleach blonde hair in the film. Uh, uh, well, yeah, Jared Leto's Jared been Leto. fucking <laughs> tweeting pictures yeah. or Instagramming pictures. I don't know, one of those social media outlets. Of he cut his <laughs> hair and bleached it. I just yeah. want Will Smith at some point in the movie to shoot something, turn around, look at his teammates, and go. Woo! Big Willie style. If that happens, then I will completely be fine with the movie. All of a sudden, like the baseline from Big Willie style just drops in right there. Everybody will be like, How was the movie? I'll be like, I don't know, man. I fucking blacked out when Will Smith went woo. Like, I just came everywhere and fell asleep. The most intense orgasm you've ever had for like two and a half hours. Be perfect. Oh, I love man. It. Andy, here's what we have to do. You and I have to make a fake Suicide Squad movie, but make it look super legit. Maybe just like get some like editing friends on it and have them like piece it together masterfully. And then we're going to put that scene in there and just show it to Ryan and be like, oh my God, we got this early advanced screener because the podcaster, blah, and just like make up a reason. And so he'll actually think it's happening. I'm sure we All can All you like... would need is just the first scene to be him doing that. <laughs> exactly. And then I would just black out for the It'll rest of the It'll be like movie. four minutes max. Like we could totally do it. Like we know enough creative people. I'm sure that like Will Smith's catalog is large enough that like we can take pieces from his like speaking parts and just have yeah. him say whatever, right? So it's oh, like... like I wouldn't recognize something from a Will Smith movie. <laughs> no, on. dude, it's like when they uh cut, I'm gonna use all, all those... Hancock sound bites just because <laughs> <laughs> No dude it'll be just like when they cut together like Obama singing um one of those songs from all his speeches. Oh like when he does Rapper's Delight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a different one too. Like a Taylor Swift song. Or no, he does the Uptown Funk song. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. I enjoyed it very much. Uh um, well, I would trade like half of the superhero movies we're getting in the next five years if Michael Bay would just come out and be like, yo, Bad Boys 3, and then drop the mic. <laughs> oh, my God. Man. Give me back your nerd card. <laughs> I don't need an Inhumans movie. Fucking Bad Boys 3. You get out of here. We absolutely kidding? need Inhumans. Ryan's we all like... know Kevin Hart's going to be in that goddamn movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you've just... Like, Michael Bay has heard this happening. He's like, holy shit, I could do that. He's like yeah, on the phone with Michael Will Bay Smith, Martin Lawrence, and Kevin Hart right now. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> um, anyways, we uh, got a little off topic there. We had some news last week about a Arrow spinoff. And this week we have a small tidbit of news as there's some rumors floating about TV Line pulled the casting call that, that the CW ended up putting out. 
and it calls for three characters that have some kind of loose descriptions, although one of them seems very likely to be Static, from uh, who some might know from the Static Shock cartoon series on the WB. The other one definitely sounds like Booster Gold to me, but I'm just a Booster fan. And the third uh, is a female warrior, a 20-something Latina, pretty but unassuming, book smart and socially awkward by day, but by night when she hears the cry of battle, her fury is ignited and she becomes a fierce warrior. Uh, there's a lot of options there. I think um, Fury was someone that they had mentioned before, or like uh, Tarantula or Pantha. So there's some options there. I'd love to see Booster Gold show up in this show. Yeah, they were saying Booster or Rip Hunter, which that'd be really digging into the archives there. Yeah, that's... about Rip Hunter. Um, oh, man, yeah, that's way deeper than I thought they would end up going, but... Yeah. yeah, and then as far as, like, the girls, that they're like, it could be Pantha, and I'm like, yeah, it could totally be this person that was in the Teen Titans in the 90s for, like, four <laughs> fucking issues, or it could be someone that's a little more irrelevant. But, I mean, I, you never know. I guess it could... Be. I'm gonna feel real dumb now if it is. Yeah. They're gonna be like, fuck you, Ryan, it was Panther. We love Teen <laughs> Titans in the nineties. I, mean, I just uh, I just hate casting things when it's just like pretty but unassuming. Fuck you, dude. You're just gonna get some super hot like twenty something lady who looks like a tween <laughs> and like her quote unquote awkward is gonna be her saying like, Oh, I'm s i am I did not uh, and like holding like a stack of books. Like <laughs> that's all that means in Hollywood. Oh no, I dropped my books on the steps of this high school. And while I was doing that, so my hair fell out like, of its oh very loosely like tied bun, and my glasses fell off, and now I'm gorgeous. Some guy will be in a room looking through a CD, her CDs. You listen to rap music? <laughs> no, not even. Is this a, is this the first edition of Morrissey? Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Morrissey doesn't Spoiler. cry. He just wails, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I've had I've had a human actually say that to my face before. Oh my god! Spoiler: It just means Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> I can't believe someone actually fucking said that to you. Yeah, did man. they mean it, you or did they the say ironically? No, no, that was a unironic love. That was it. That person yeah. that I always hear about that we used to talk about. Uh, that no. girl Dante brought to a party that brought a fucking book. No, but there's nothing wrong with bringing a book to a party. <laughs> no, she like I've sat there and just read a book. You've never done that. Andy. Can we be real though for a second? When I used to drink, uh, and all my friends went, and you know, Kat, we yeah. all went to like a bar in like downtown Fullerton for her birthday, and there was like a dance club slash bar thing, which is very clearly, if anyone knows me, not my scene. So instead, I brought my 3ds and played Pokemon in the back of a booth while everybody else was dancing. So I feel Wait. that. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't want to party, you know? I... Sometimes you just have to get to Viridian City immediately. Sometimes you just <laughs> always want to play Pokemon. <laughs> Pretty much. So I can't I can't shit talk the book bringer, but <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, you know, we'll just uh, leave that one aside. We're just going to back out slowly and just let the podcast finish recording for the next 48 minutes without any of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll see you guys later. Uh, yeah, good show, good show. Before we go... Uh, <laughs> We do have some more stuff to talk about. We have some casting rumors going around for the new Justice League movie. And the current rumor that's floating about is that most famously from, I guess, Star Trek would be the most recent thing he was in. Chris Pine is rumored to be playing Hal Jordan, a.k.a. the Green Lantern, in this upcoming Justice League movie, which I guess it kind of makes sense, right? Uh, I'm fine with it. I Actually, he was just in Horrible Bosses, too. 
and that's disappointing. Was he a horrible boss? No, uh, he was like the son of a horrible boss. That movie was okay. It was like 30 minutes too long, but it actually was like Jason Sudeikis and Charlie Day are beautiful human beings. <laughs> and I would watch like anything that they were in because they bounce off each other so well. And after seeing like Chris Pine in that, uh, he totally has like some comedic chops, which I think like Green Lantern needs to bring to the table a little more than that last piece of shit movie. <laughs> Uh, but he can also obviously handle like the action aspect of it, as we know from the Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally on board with him. If I can't get him as the Flash, like I'll take him as Green Lantern because he was rumored to be the Flash for a long time too. I don't care if he's in it or not. I'm sure he'll do fine. I just want the movies to come out so I can see everything together. Because I think for any of this ensemble, anything it'll be great. But I don't know. I just don't particularly care for him either way. So. I think at least you don't it's... care for Captain Kirk. Mm, no. What? Did you I'm... watch Star Trek? I did, but I'm sorry. It's just not the same when you've had Patrick Stewart all your life, and then you're like, "Oh, P.S. Here's Chris Pine." I had Patrick <laughs> Stewart my whole life too, and then Chris Pine. I was like, I was always like, Picard is way better than Kirk. Kirk is a fat piece of shit. Sorry, William Shatner or fans of the original series. No, no, no. I am with you. 1, and then, and then when those came out, I was like, oh, Kirk is actually kind of cool. Like they're fine. I just don't know. I don't know. I just I was a next gen person, so I just don't yeah, give a I, shit about I, Kirk. I don't understand the words. I I, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like there is a uh, whole different kind of podcast that could happen for Sabate, this current conversation. Anton Yelkin, Zachary Quinto. I mean, we're talking about like one of the best ensemble casts, to, like cast to happen. In fair, I movie. loved most of the cast. I just don't care about Chris Pine. I don't know. Maybe it's just something about ah! him. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying it to make you matter. Why? Why would he? He's so pretty and he's good. I oh, I forgot that he's your boyfriend. That's why you're so upset. I'm sorry. I, like good looking people. No, I know that. Good actor. No, I forgot that you had like such like a weird like nerdy boner for him. I'm sorry. I won't like exacerbate this situation. I forgot that that was a thing. Like for real. <laughs> he played Jack Frost in the Rise of the Guardians movie. As if that gives him cred. I don't. <laughs> Whatever. Should that movie's awesome? Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like I, I'm sorry. I take it all back. He's wonderful and perfect, and he deserves to be in all the movies. I think the interesting thing about this is that the names for DC's movie continually are getting bigger and bigger. Chris Pine is definitely a big name on the Hollywood scene. So it's going to be interesting when we look at Avengers and what we end up with, and then we get a look finally at this Justice League movie. I think we're going to end up with a lot of pretty heavy hitters on those two franchises, and who knows, maybe we might actually see them like be super competitive with each other. You know, um, I've heard a lot of people who have said that they don't think that the DC movie is even going to sell very well, but I think that it's going to be just fine. I think there's enough people who know who Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter. Okay, I, I know who Martian Manhunter is, but I don't think there's a lot of people who It'll do. make a ton of money. I yeah. just don't think, like, as far as quality, it'll be better. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll we'll have to see. They're they're in that CBS Supergirl style of just throwing money at the problem. Yeah. 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 Side note: When you said, "Oh yeah, the DC names just keep getting bigger and bigger," then the next thing I thought of was, "But I don't think they'll have a role that like Beyonce could play well." So I don't know how big it could actually get. Like, let's go. Hey, I mean, we could we could swap out, you know, Amanda Waller. We could have it just be Beyonce, right? That's a thing. But listen. 
I just I'm just gonna write a comic book for Beyonce, and she can, can we, just be in my superhero. Can we just have Beyonce star in the starring role of the Bitch Planet movie? Is that allowed? Holy shit! Oh my god, <laughs> I didn't. My heart didn't know it that I wanted it until you said it. And I, <laughs> okay, well, as we move on, AMC has some stuff <laughs> going <it> on. <laughs> you don't just get to segue away from this. You dropped this knowledge bomb on me, and now you have to live in my ruminations with me. I just yes. let's write a letter, Andy. Let's write a very strongly worded letter to Kelly Sue to well, start writing a screenplay. Yeah, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure somewhere in the milk-fed criminal masterminds production company, someone's ears are tingling and they're thinking about. I don't say. Frankly, <laughs> frankly, I figure Kelly Sue has already contemplated that possibility. Who knows? But as I said, AMC has Fine. an upcoming series. Uh, Preacher one, ad- adapted from it's a, it was originally a Vertigo comic. Vertigo, yeah, it's Vertigo. Um, but Preacher possibly has their lead character. It turns that. out that Dominic Cooper, who most recently was seen in AG- ABC's, ooh, AGC's, no, ABC's <laughs> Agent Carter as Howard Stark, that he is currently the front runner. Uh, according to a couple of spots, I know Slash Film and I think Tracking Board also had something on it, basically saying that possibly we could get Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer. So he was someone I don't think we mentioned at the time when we were mm-hmm. brainstorming this, but, but I, I think he can do great. I've loved him in uh, Agent Carter so far. I did and... too. I thought it was great. Uh, I think it's very, yeah, I think it's pretty spot on. I, he can definitely pull off the look. And he's been in a couple um, other movies. What, like, um, oh, God, as like bad as that fucking Abraham Lincoln movie. Vampire Hunter? Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter <laughs> and Need for Speed, yeah. Oh. Um, and as fucking terrible as those movies are, like, he does play, like, in his role in those movies is very similar to, like, his Tony Stark role. It's like, he's always kind of the... Um, like he's like wily, I guess, you know, I don't know. It's fucking, I don't know. So I he think builds he... like robot masters and tries to take over the world or, oh, you mean like a, oh, never mind then. Sorry. <laughs> Not the doctor. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, and then of course my nerd brain, I was like, uh, Andy, Wiley Coyote does not do that. But and then, I, <laughs> then I made the connection and oh, I was like, oh yeah. Oh man. Apparently he's. In this little TV miniseries where he plays Ian Fleming, the guy who invented 007. Oh. What? That's crazy. Anyways, Wait, was that a there was four thing? episodes on, yeah, BBC America was where it was produced. Good call. I would say, yeah, anything James Bond, I assume to be happening on BBC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't have, he doesn't have much that I'm just, like, blown out of the water with when it comes to his actual filmography, but... You know, he was fine as Howard Stark in uh, the first Avenger. He was plenty good in Agent Carter. So he always plays a smart ass. So yeah, I mean that's what and Jesse. That's totally what Jesse is. He's like the smart ass of the Wild West. So that'll be fine. That could be great. I think you know, Preacher is something that we thought would fit well in the AMC format. And hopefully, do they have a showrunner for that yet? Um, yeah, we talked about it. Uh, did, right? Oh, it's it's Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. That's right. Yeah, who are the uh, yeah. EPs on the film, so or TV show that is, and <laughs> so that'll be good. I think we'll we'll get a a nice chunk of awesome there, uh, as long as they don't boring it up like Walking Dead. Yeah, well, 
I don't know. There's a lot more boring spaces in the Wild West than there are in a zombie apocalypse, so we might have to worry about something there. Well, it's like a modern West. Yeah, that's true. It is It is much more modern. Um, I take naps that are more exciting than The Walking Dead. <laughs> so, like, I'm not worried about it. Oh, man. Jeez. Uh. Well, I guess that's as good a time as us to move on to comics for the week, as we don't want anyone falling asleep. Oh, no, asleep. wait. What? I want to talk about Powers real quick. Oh, that's right. Um, we were going to mention Powers, and it didn't even make it in here. But yeah, we had Sony finally announced, uh, or I guess released, the first three episodes of the Powers miniseries. They've released it onto Sony Online, so if you have a PS3, a PS4, or I believe access to the PlayStation Network Online, you can... Uh, get the first episode for free. It says uh, Sherito Copley is playing um, the lead role. And I haven't seen the first episode yet or any of it, but I know, Ryan, you caught uh, caught a chunk of it, right? Yeah, I watched the first three. It starts in a very different place than like where the comics start you off. Um, so it's like definitely taking some liberties. Sherito Cop- Copley is fucking awesome in it though they still have uh it's it's still like recently after uh walker's like lost his abilities right it's it's yeah it's probably maybe a year like it gets brought up very frequently like people still recognize him as diamond okay um he's still like kind of a celebrity and he uses that to his advantage in many situations like when it comes to the detective work um there's lots of situations situations where they're like um where they're interacting with Johnny Royale and um like the whole powers like uh culture and he uses his old uh identity to like there's one part where they're about to get into a into a fight his new partner Dina Pilgrim is about to get in a fight with one of the powers and he walks in and he's just like oh hey dude what's up and they like hug and it breaks the fight up but it also enables his partner to get one of the witnesses out of the room that they were trying to do so he uses it like to his advantage a lot um he pretty much like it's there's not a lot of big names really attached to it other like he's i thought he was really big uh to be attached to a sony original like tv program especially since it's their first one um eddie izzard is in it as wolf yeah eddie izzard noah taylor um, I can't remember who plays Retro Girl. Um, it's Michelle I, Forbes. Yeah, Michelle Forbes, and she's had like a couple minor roles here and there too. She was uh, also in The Killing for a little while. Oh yeah, she's the she's the wife. Um, so Charlotte Copley is definitely like the biggest name attached to the project, and he he pretty much carries it uh, because it it is good, and I really like it. But you can tell that it's on a budget. There's some laughably bad CG in it. Um, in particular, like the very first scene from the pilot, he walks outside and he's watching people fight in the sky, and it looks like I'm talking like 1999 CGI. Does everyone it's, have a green glow to them? It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 pretty bad sometimes, but the more like realistic aspects of the show are very entertaining. Um, and Eddie Izzard and Charlotte Copley totally make the show. There's some weird casting. I, I, I actually thought Michelle Forbes as Retro Girl was really kind of odd. No offense to her. She's a little old. What did you think of uh, Susan Hayward as Dina? She's good. She like she definitely is growing into the role. It, it at first like you're not sure if it's her like if it's her acting in general or if she's just playing 
if it's kind of like, oh, she's like the newbie, you know, at yeah. the in the powers bureau. So like by the end of episode three, I definitely think she has grown into the role a lot more. I was I thought the whole season was going to drop all at once. And last night I went and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch episode one and like see how I like it. And I ended up watching all three episodes and I would have kept watching if it was going. But it's uh, it's actually coming out every Tuesday. Yeah, so it looks like we have to wait just a bit. But so they gave us the first three to start, and then we're going to get them a week at a time for the rest of the season, which I believe is going to be 10 episodes long. So we've got like seven more weeks of power stuff going through. It's it's a little disappointing to hear about the CG stuff, but, you know, as you said, I think the series powers is much more rooted in kind of the down-to-earth natural environment that they end up in. And I don't think it needs a lot of necessarily like flashy CG going on or anything like that. So hopefully they can kind of, you know, grow into that role and maybe work with that shoestring budget that they probably have over there. What I do like is just getting the superhero world like because you're so used to like the PG-13 superhero world. It's nice to have the world where like there's totally a sex scene with a superhero in it. And then also just to have people naturally saying the F word when things are happening because <laughs> that would normally happen, you know? Like, uh, you know, it's not like everyone gets zapped with a laser beam and then goes like, ah, oh, damn it. You know, like it happens and they're like, fuck you. Like they're screaming at each other. Like they say fuck a lot, um, which I, I don't know. I like the the realism of it yeah it's nice to see them kind of take the kid kid gloves off from time to time um doesn't have it hasn't happened a lot yet with superheroes really yeah i mean i think i think Unless some, you want to watch that 1999 spawn movie again yeah <laughs> I, I think part of that is you know the money in hollywood is always in appealing to as broad an audience as possible they're always going to push to try and get a pg-13 rating when they when they you know could possibly have an r uh, just because it allows for, you know, the 16-year-old kid to see it without his mom having to know. But, you know, I think this is such a unique uh, launch platform on PlayStation Network. I'm going to be very interested to see how this does the rest of the season. Because if it ends up that it doesn't do um, does it doesn't do very well, we may see that, like, some more of these smaller distribution platforms don't pan out. But, God, could you imagine if this does fantastic and sony has another like release vector for them and they can fund more tv shows more comic book stuff i mean i know we we had rumors i think it was earlier last week that they're talking about maybe turning attack on titan into like a tv show or a movie and you know like i I think when it comes to delving into that like nerd money like if you could get (laughs) i love them that nerd money if, if you could get you know playstation network xbox live um, something like you know, like Twitch TV or something. All of those are very focused outlets, and I think, you know, even though the industry is very much focused on we want to get as many people as possible and we want to get like you know all age groups, I think we're probably going to see some real intense distribution of these kind of things on stuff like PlayStation Network in the future. Hopefully, at least. Well, and we all saw the Daredevil full trailer, right? Oh yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. forgot forgot to throw that in the show. Didn't notes put that too. in the show notes at all. But we can talk about right now how it's two <laughs> minutes of absolute wonder, and the whole time Vincent D'Onofrio is like talking about Hell's Kitchen, and uh, I love the like juxtaposition of like Matt Murdock and Kingpin have the same fucking goal, like that same end game. Yep. But they're they're doing it differently, and it makes them enemies. And and I love that it's almost 
it's almost that that's part of one of the things that I really love about Daredevil and the Daredevil kind of rogues gallery and universe is that Kingpin and Matt Murdock really do have kind of a similar upbringing. You know, they both lived kind of to some degree, a pretty hard life in hell's kitchen and they ended up getting out of it in a different way. Like, you know, for, for Matt, he had to, you know, have his dad die and all this jet and all this just happened to him with, you know, getting his eyes blinded. But, um, you know, they end up in very different pathways. And I like the idea that, you know, with maybe a few different things happening, maybe the Kingpin and Daredevil could have been, you know, totally different people or opposites, depending on where they draw the line for themselves. So, um, and I will put a link to that, uh, that Daredevil trailer in the show notes as well, because uh, that was two minutes that just really blew me away. I can't wait for Netflix. That's another show that will give us all of the episodes when it debuts, which I believe is April 10th. Um, so look forward to that, folks. And now is the time that we can move on, finally, to comics, uh, that thing that we're supposed to be talking about on the podcast, which we usually talk about on the podcast. Uh, and this week we have a new number one that just came out from Image. Uh, it's written by none other than the always wonderful Becky Cloonan, and it is called mm-hmm. Southern Cross. It I felt like the issue did a great job of uh, establishing the world around it. Like I said, written by Becky Cloonan, Andy Bellinger is on art, uh, Lee Lowridge is on colors, uh, and Serge LaPointe is on letters. The text in this book is actually fantastic. And it gives you a lot of background into the story, tells you a lot about Alice, I believe is her Mm, name. Nope. Her name is Alex. Alex. I'm sorry. Yeah. And what was her sister's name? Amber, Amber. There you go. It took me a second. Um, it's pretty good, honestly. I liked it a lot. I thought it was very enjoyable. Super red, like space station y vibe that's going on right there. Honestly, the art I could not get over the entire time because it reminds me so much of They're Not Like Us. Um, and I thought I was by the same person and it's not, but I just kept on like staring. Like all the faces are very distinct in the exact same way. And it was I like the art in that book too, so it's totally awesome, but I just it kept on like throwing me. So I was like, God, are you sure they didn't just like write the wrong person's name down? But nope, it is definitely the people whose names you just said that I'm not looking at right now. So I sound like an idiot. Uh, uh, Becky Cloonan <laughs> and uh, Andy Bellinger. Andy Bellinger. On art. Yeah. yeah, but their styles are really similar. Like every time I like back and forth between the two of them because I have the other one open now, like it just fucking blows my mind. Yeah, I, I like any like science fiction story that really gives you kind of a look at the inner workings. Um, There was one panel of here, which I just felt gave me a very like starship vibe. Uh, It's page seven or so when when, uh, she's being led through the ship by Lore, the doctor, and you get this weird kind of tumbling left to right, right to left flow of the panel that works really, really great. Yeah, I love that page. Like, the motion in it, like, we talk about that a lot, I feel like, with panel direction. But it's just usually not done really well. And so when it is, like, I feel like we just feel the need to, like, comment on it. Because it is super easy to follow. And even though, like, the text goes from, like, left to right and right to left and all that kind of stuff, like, you still know exactly where you are. And it gives you the feeling that you're actually walking through the ship, kind of. So I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was pretty great. I couldn't get into it. Really? What didn't you like about it? I just, I'm not a big sci-fi person to begin with. Oh, that'll probably and, do it for sure. Yeah, and I feel like I've got so much new sci-fi lately 
I mean, like, Big Planet to an extent is sci-fi, but also Descender is, like, heavily sci-fi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm in the process of, like, catching up on Saga. So, like, between Saga and Descender, I'm like, I have my sci-fi fill. Like, I just, <laughs> yeah. I really, that's all I need, honestly. Like, as a comic book reader, I'm like, yeah, with Saga, like, I totally get, like, I get my fill of, you know, this type of sci-fi. Like, Saga's a little more kooky, a little, uh, like, crazier. Descender's a little more serious, like, a little more robot kind of style sci-fi whereas saga is more like alien races and everything so between the two i'm just like i'm good i don't need any more so <laughs> like like reading this i really i really do like becky clunan i've read a ton of her stuff i i, I have her whole true lives of the fabulous killjoys comic that she did with gerard way um i we all love gotham academy yeah, Gotham Academy is fucking amazing. American Virgin was great. Uh, I just couldn't get into this. And, yeah. I mean, I'll keep reading it to see if I like it piques my interest. Um, but not being a huge sci-fi fan, I just – it wasn't for me. Yeah. I don't know. I, I definitely I, don't have that problem. It's Ray Bradbury is, like, one of my first loves, like, literary-wise. He's all about that sci-fi. So I'm into it. Um, also, on page 19, I think it is, like, the artwork on it is just f- so fucking beautiful, honestly. It reminds me of one of the splash pages in Odyssey that Christian Ward draws. Ugh, God, I just love looking at it. Like, they have, like, a couple of splash pages like that where it's just so pretty. Yeah. And it's just so well drawn. The color in this comic is fantastic. Yeah, I just love the feel of it. It's um, I, I think one of the there's a lot of little details in here which I really love about any kind of science fiction media. Like, there's one point where she has to like swipe a card to get water from the bathroom, mm-hmm. um, which just I mean, the monetization of your <laughs> like needs seems very science fiction futuristic to me. Like, pay three cents to get the life support turned back on in your cabin. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, we have not had a response from you. Please swipe your card. Your life signs are fading. But, you know, I, I think there's some there's some characters here that have some definite motivations. There's some weird, like, dreaming, possibly hallucinating shit going on. So um, it'll be something to keep an eye on in the future. Another, you know, book in, book from Image that we just can't get enough of. So Yeah, I pretty much trust Image pretty complicitly when it comes to stuff now, so... I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm interested to see what happens for sure. Anyways, we had (laughs) issue number 13 of Captain Marvel by none other than Kelly Sue DeConnick and Warren Ellis on the writing, David Lopez doing the artist always, and Lee Lowridge again on color. This one is picking up where Captain Marvel was going through the endless envelope, which is like a portion of space that has, does not behave with physics and... Throughout the entire ship, she uh, not the entire ship, the entire issue, she has, like, quipping conversations with her ship's artificial intelligence, and it's pretty much the greatest thing in comics. I, I love any time, like, I feel like to some degree science fiction stuff lately has pulled this from Interstellar, but I could not get enough of, like, an artificial intelligence measuring their humor, like 90% humor, guys. <laughs> <laughs> or like the percentage amount of honesty that they give you. Like, I love uh, anything when it comes to artificial intelligence in that move. And we get a, a cool ending to the arc of um, what was happening with her cat. And she gets to redeem some friends, save some friends, and of course, in the end, be amazing, awesome Captain Marvel. So... Anytime there's anything with, like, ship stuff, um, Douglas Adams had a book that he wrote with one of the guys from Monty Python. It's it's called Starship Titanic. 
if you ever get a chance to read it you should it's fucking hilarious but the ship has artificial intelligence in that um but it's really dumb like the ship's ai is really dumb it has i I remember it has a self-destruct countdown and like every time the whole book almost it's about to like count down and every time it gets to like two one of the characters will notice and be like oh uh um 400 399 and then it will start over and they'll be like wait Um, uh uh (laughs) so that's just what i think of every time i get ship ai so i love it Anytime there's any sort of interaction. Yeah, honestly, Douglas Adams is real good at AI in general. Like, everything. In um, Hitchhiker's Guide, there's Marvin, the super sad android. Yep. Who's my favorite. <laughs> Rest in peace, Douglas Adams, 440. Yeah. Oh. yeah, 42. That's the answer, guys. But this book was fantastic. Again, some fantastic art. We got to see, you know, Carol solve some problems by improvising, which she does very well, so... Is this the first one that Ellis has co-wrote, co-written? Uh, yes. I think the last one he did not. So, but uh, I think he's super into like physics, astro, like all like theoretical physics and um, like all that shit. So I'm sure he helped with a lot of that. Yeah, it looks like he he was on at the at part one of this one in issue twelve. So he wrote. He was already kind of like helping on that one as well. So it makes some sense that he came over. I think he is going to be a mainstay on the comic for a little bit. It was very good. So I think we it's rare for us to say anything bad about Captain Marvel, like or Kelly Sue. Yeah, I mean. Both ladies that we can trust to have fantastic comic experiences. So definitely worth it. Uh, Speaking of people that we trust for fantastic comic experiences, none uh, titillate (laughs) their readers as much as the wonderful and amazing Chip Zdarsky. And he has done it again as he has brought us Howard the Duck number one. And uh, Joe Canonis is on the art. Rico Renzi is doing color. Uh, again, Chip Zdarsky's doing the words, and Howard the Duck is just so good, so so good. Yeah, in prison multiple this, times in oh this book, my God. but this this whole comic was just fucking perfect. Yeah, every time I thought I was like, well, okay, it's probably gonna get dumb after this. It never did. <laughs> it was just so solid the whole way through. And it not only does it do a great job at just being like a a well written, um, beautifully illustrated book, it does a great job at setting up like setting up a comic. It, it introduces you to the main character. It gives us a new like supporting character from the world that is obviously going to be a big part of the comic. Um, and then what I really love is that it carries over the She-Hole comic that we just lost from Charles, Charles Soleil. Soleil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it brings not only She-Hulk over, but it mentions Hellcat. And then also um, the monkey, whose name I can never remember. Um, but oh, it's, Hey Hey. Yeah, but it has Hey Hey in it as well, which seeing Howard the Duck interact with any Marvel animals, I'm always a fan of. So, of course, like the setup with Rocket is great. Hands down, my favorite part in the entire comic, though, uh, is when Spider-Man shows up and... <laughs> Oh my god. Is that when, when he's he, crying about Uncle Ben? That part is fantastic, <laughs> but I just I love when he says, "Are you 100 year old in 100 years old in duck years?" And then while Howard is talking to him, he's talking to himself and he's like, "How long do ducks even live for?" And then he asks Siri, "How long do <laughs> do ducks live for?" But the best part is Howard the duck tries to interrupt and ask Siri as well where Black Cat is, and Siri tries to answer both questions by recommending a pet shop. Uh, <laughs> for your duck and cat needs. <laughs> I think my favorite uh, panel of this comic is when Howard the duck goes to complain to his lawyer, and uh, Jennifer Walters, She Hulk, is sitting on her computer watching cat videos and listening to Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> 
shake it off. <laughs> uh, just so good. This comic hits it so well on so many levels. Can we? It, it shows you like a cheesy fake ad for Howard the Duck as a private investigator that oh, apparently plays man. in movie theater. The movie theater that was fucking brilliant. So I don't know how you guys haven't brought up for one of your favorite things the entire like training montage panel. Yep. Because Howard the Duck is definitely working out and wearing a uh, tank top that says "No harm, no foul." <laughs> So much was so his the fact that his receptionist is a bunch of newspapers and a mop <laughs> with a face drawn on it. That was just fucking amazing as well. There was just so much when even Spider-Man just using his stupid little spider signal. Yep. And he's like, look, it's my face on your body. <laughs> yeah, it's it, I, you know, we said it when this comic was first announced, but Chip Zdarsky is the absolute perfect person to write Howard the Duck. I like that, you know, it's got a nice little twist at the end with who might be involved in the comic. And, you know, it's questions of like, what happened to Howard? Uh, and some people get to find out, you know, just what happened, us the readers, uh, whereas uh, the people in the comic are kind of just like left with a giant question. So, you know, we've got some room for another comic moving forward. And I think it'll be great. We're going to get a very good comic out of Chip. Oh, my gosh. It was everything I hoped it would be. Yeah, there's an entire page dedicated to using pizza to fend off security cats because they're pizza cats. And now there's pizza cats and pizza dogs <laughs> in Marvel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Expectations were so high and <laughs> they hit them. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? So, so many props to Chip Zdarsky and Joe Quinones because this art is uh, just, it's awesome. so spot on for the comic that that he was given. Yeah. It, it's nice, you know, we've talked about this in the past, I think with the next comic we're going to be talking about, Ms. Marvel, where the art and the comic itself really, you know, hit the right, the same angles. And this this week, Ms. Marvel was no exception as uh, we did actually get a new artist this week. It was uh, Takeshi Miyazawa, who was on the art, uh, with uh, Ian Herring doing color. And of course, G. Willow Wilson is doing the writing, this time we get to see Kamala hanging out on uh, New Attilan and uh, also, of course, dealing with some family teenager stuff, which is just great. She's kind of my favorite, and I love her a lot. I love that she develops her first crush based solely on the fact that the dude plays World of Battlecraft, <laughs> because that's how I developed my first crush. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in Kamala's defense, she's also like, when he turns around and she sees him for the first time as well, right? So, because he's the cutest, yeah. I swear. I just her little blush face where she's like playing with her hair and being super coy about it. It's kind of the cutest thing. I can't even stand it. Like this comic is everything that I love as like a nerd and as like a lady who has like a propensity for like duh kind of moments. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting to see you know, that used as like a narrative tool, but I think it's fine. Like it's just another hobby that she happens to have that she shares with this dude. And they also like, you know, get to kind of nerd out over Bollywood for a bit. Yes. Which is I, awesome. I love the idea that the dad is like, come on, just be friends with him. And then suddenly she's friends with him. And she's like, Hey, 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 what's going on here? <laughs> like, uh, it's got some great like family dynamics here with like the, with uh, is it like a big brother or like a cousin? Yeah, it's uh, that's her big brother. Yeah, it's her big brother who ends up coming along, and uh, you know they get to have some time, and of course, uh, eventually, 
Kamala, some bad stuff happens and she has to run away, change into her costume and uh, literally lay the smack down on this girl. <laughs> um, and uh, in the end, we get to find out that Kamala maybe isn't as alone in being an inhuman as she thought, huh? That's so cute. I, I literally saw this last panel and I was like, oh shit! <laughs> I was so happy! Oh my god. And he looks so cute as his little weird, like, vapory inhuman self. I don't even know what's going to happen, but I'm really excited to see it. This arc is going to be awesome. This book just gets better and better. I know. It's so good all the time. And um, what I really have to applaud, like, G. Willow Wilson for is it's really hard to balance, not not just, like, in general in comic books, it's really hard to balance someone's personal life with, like, their superheroics. And there's a lot of comics that have tried it over time. And um, I think one of the comics that... Uh, I know you just read it, Kelsey, that did it fairly well was like Chris Claremont always did a pretty good job at like showing the X-Men outside of like super heroics. Like it would would show them baseball. (laughs) Yeah. Like a swimsuit issue or something like that. Yes. Or (laughs) just numerous times in the X-Mansion. Like there were a bunch of times where there's six pages of just like I literally remember a comic where Storm is using her powers to wash the dishes and they're just talking while all of them are doing the dishes. Yep. And then Kitty's sleepover um, when they involve all the other like neighborhood high school kids because they want to be friends with them. <laughs> um, so cute. And it, it's something that's really hard to like hit on in comics and it's strive for a lot and misses a lot. But G. Will the Wilson really just her, she, it's perfect the way that she balances kamala's life with her super heroics yeah like if you look in the letters page um there's actually a guy who commented on something like that where he's like some 50 year old dude who's been reading comics for like 40 of that and he says something along the lines of like um usually with superpower comics the the power is more interesting than the person and he's like compliments um wilson for definitely not falling into that same trap because kamala is super interesting on her own who happens to be able to do these amazing things so I back that. Yeah. And she also, you know, kind of explores a different, you know, line with Kamala where it's always very lighthearted. And when she like knocks this girl out, it's like, oh shit, like what the fuck happened? Um, So, you know, and this comic is just fantastic. There's nothing that I can say that really is more than you guys have. I am interested to see uh, just exactly what this guy's power is though it, i think he's gonna be bad yeah i don't know because he i was thinking that qualify too. that he's not a villain <laughs> yeah i was thinking that too but they just introduced that other bad girl who she like knocked the shit out of and he's not even from the same area so it makes sense if they were got to have like a super cool like inhuman like network where they get to like call each other for help and stuff like that so I obviously prefer it if he were good, but maybe he's not. It's going to be like, oh, this is like her first crush. And it's even better because he has powers too. And he's evil. Oh, don't say that. You're going to make it real. (laughs) It's true. I've read too many comics. I've watched too many TV shows. It's going to happen. Or maybe not. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you're probably right, but I hope you're wrong. Let's just put it like that. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm just in awe of how good this comic is like even even without a you know a bird clone from thomas edison who makes a giant robot (laughs) to get noticed i mean this comic is just all kinds of brilliance not enough karnak yeah probably not enough karnak but you know (laughs) but there's (laughs) 
but there's Sorry. definitely, you know, there's definitely a tone that's super like lively and vibrant within the comic that I just, I can't get enough of. Speaking of comics that I cannot get enough of, this week we had Star Wars number three, written again by Jason Aaron, John Cassidy on the art, Laura Martin on color, and Chris Eliopoulos on the lettering. And this one puts us smack dab in the middle of that battle that we had been in, I guess it was like two to three weeks ago when we got Star Wars 2. We've been on the Darth Vader slash Princess Leia um, train as of late, which is also amazing. Uh, if you have not heard our review of Princess Leia, you can listen back to the last episode and hear about how just wonderful that book is. Hey, sorry, yeah. backtrack. Uh, Karnak's dead. Oh. Just throw that out there. <laughs> Karnak's dead. No. <laughs> I just looked it up because I thought he might be. I was like, I'm pretty sure I read that Karnak died recently. Oh, and man. Did, so I guess I we guess... never will have enough Karnak. Then, huh? <laughs> I guess not. guess not. No. <laughs> but That's uh, <laughs> all right. It's all good. No, that was an important message, okay? People at home, they need to know. About Karnak's uh, current might state, not know. but uh, we get to we get to take a peek at you know just what happens after the main cast, I guess is what you would call them, are like rolling out in that ATAT, and uh, we get to see kind of where everyone is. This is a hectic and crazy comic book. So with Princess Leia and Darth Vader, both of the comics, which I really I I did enjoy both of them a lot. Um, Star Wars just continues to be the strongest of the three, and I mean, Jason Aaron and Cassidy together is still, for me, just the perfect pairing. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just, it really drops you right into the action. And it pretty much doesn't let up the entire issue. God, and I mean, the Darth Vader comic, especially the first issue, did a good job at like making Vader be a badass. But uh, seeing him chop down a fucking AT-AT. Yeah, and he just does it so fucking effortlessly. <laughs> like, Yeah, he like literally doesn't give a fuck. He's just like, oh, here's his leg. Like, I'm just going to go like ham on it and bring the entire thing down. And and then he just looks up and he's like, the walker has fallen. That's all he has to say. Yeah, it's it is so good. Like you said. It's nonstop action all the way through. I really feel like pacing is just the absolute best in this comic. I mean, everything from the moment of, you know, we get a little bit of a Death Star trench run moment with, you know, Luke on a speeder bike and being chased by Vader in a little shuttle. And uh, unfortunately, Overseer Agadine is no longer. Uh, But we get Chewie reassembling the Millennium Falcon as C-3PO lays disassembled nearby. I mean, it it really hits on all of the Star Wars beats that we really could. And the art looks gorgeous all the way through. The one thing that I didn't actually like was the cover. Um, I don't know, like... uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like Luke's face looks so awful. Um, it looks very primitive. He looks know. like a monkey. It looks like it looks like almost like uh, like Cassidy was like trying really hard to like draw Mark Hamill, but he was looking at like modern Mark Hamill's face instead of like Star Wars era Mark Hamill. Yeah, I really did. Um, what one thing I appreciate about this book a lot is we talk about Vader being a badass, but it really does make Luke way cooler. Than he pretty much was in any of the movies until Return, like yeah. or End of Empire. Well, yeah, and I think and I think some of that, you know, we get throughout the cinematic universe, we get a lot of 
like bits and pieces of Luke as his like power grows. You know, like the first real big one that we see with his power is like, of course, blowing up the Death Star. And then we get to see in, you know, in A New Hope, he's a little bit trickier. He, you know, is able to retrieve his lightsaber. He trains with Yoda, but we never really get to see him until Jedi. And I think the the cool thing that I like about kind of Luke's, um, what I would call kind of like force moments in this book are that they don't really, it's not like he is... You know, uh, he's not like moving. He's not like stopping Han Solo from stomping on him with an ATAT. Whereas Vader, his power is very much power in its brute force. You know, he fucking force chokes Jabba the Hutt. He yeah. ends up like taking down this giant ATAT. Luke is his force connection is very much more about feel, and it's almost like a little bit more unseen. You know, when he's like flying out of this giant exploding thing, he's got his eyes closed, and he's just like, "Hey, man, this is." You know, the force is essentially guiding him through this shrapnel as he's ex- as he's escaping. And um, it's nice to see not only the juxtaposition of father and son, but also of the two sides of the force. And I think uh, it's something that uh, Jason Aaron has done a fantastic job of lately. So that that panel in particular with him flying out is probably like that that four panel part is probably my favorite page in the comic. I just yeah. think especially him flying out with his eyes closed. That's just a gorgeous panel. And I don't know why, for some reason, I fucking love that jacket now. Yeah, that like, yellow jacket? Yeah, that yellow jacket. I'm like, ooh, Luke, you have some April O'Neil shit, and it looks good. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I like it. Oh, man. my actually, actually, my favorite panel is the very next one, when you see, like, Vader emerge from the wreckage. Like, again, we talked about this in the Vader comic, that they did a great job of doing, like, just visual storytelling. And to a certain extent, that's true in this comic as well. There's a couple of pages where we have like maybe one or two panels with characters talking and the rest of it is like motion, sound effects, all kinds of stuff going on, you know? So it's it's good to see. We also see some some vehicles that are seldom seen in the Imperial um, arsenal here, which is kind of cool. I yeah, don't know. get deep on that Star Wars nerd, Andy. Yeah, it, yeah see, I mean, it's, it's, it's good, like... I don't. I, Tell us the names of the vehicles. You know, you know them. I think that's a. I think that's a Starfighter <laughs> L four patrol craft, but I'm not sure what um, Vader's trying flying. Uh, I could find out, but I'd be cheating because I'd definitely be looking it up at this point. But uh, you know, assault tanks from the they're like modified into the Imperial Army from the Clone Wars, so you can see some remnants of older stuff. And uh, the other cool thing that I really really enjoy is at the end of the book they put a like. Um, a little, like, Easter egg, essentially, uh, showing where Vader's, like, uh, his original lightsaber ends up, you know, with Kenobi. And uh, I don't know, that's that's cool to kind of see how that ends up in, in Luke's hands at the start of the movie. And uh, the next teaser panel for issue four shows Vader and what I believe is Obi-Wan's silhouette. And you can very clearly see the twin sons of Tatooine. So I think we'll be seeing some desert stuff in the next issue, which should be cool. Uh, let's see. Ooh, this one is a book that I know. Uh, I don't know, Ryan. Did you get a chance to read all new X Men thirty seven? Ah, no. I, okay. well, no, no. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this is this one is uh, we've got uh, Mike Del Mundo is on the art. He's kind of they've in the in between time they've been kind of hopping back and forth between artists, and I, I I really like Mike Del Mundo's style. It's kind of a little bit grittier than I normally see for an X-Men comic, but it really works with, uh, this one has Jean Grey and Emma Frost traveling to Madripoor, and they get dropped off by magic, (laughs) 
And <laughs> then Emma Frost takes Jean on like a, essentially a, a training field trip where she turns off Jean's telepathy, <laughs> which I don't think I'd ever seen that done in the comics before. I don't have as encyclopedic an X-Men knowledge as some, but uh, this is this was a good comic all the way through. It's essentially Jean Grey and Emma Frost gal-palling it up, and um, I like putting young Jean out of her element because to some degree, as ruthless and crazy as Emma Frost can be, she has a serious point. Uh, young Jean... She just don't know, and she's a lot more powerful than she thinks she is. So it's good to see Jean stretch her legs. And I think the thing that really kind of bothered me about this issue was that Uncanny X-Men is written by Bendis as well, and he's going to be leaving. I think he's going to be out of this book also. And... I think he's leaving the X-Universe as a whole. Yeah, so you know, it, it was such great like conversational like writing. I mean... You know, at one point, Emma Frost is like, I really do like her more and more, referring to magic. And Jean's like, she was very angry. And Emma's just like, she's been angry before. <laughs> it's okay. Like, don't worry. <laughs> um, but uh, anytime that we can get some more of these, like, gal pals just hanging out. Um, and I also like a look into what Madripoor has become after um, Mystique has bought it all out and turned it into essentially mutant drugtopia. <laughs> Yeah, I like that the blob was hooked on um, mutant growth hormone, so he was (laughs) even bigger than normal. Yeah, which is actually, uh, that's that's been running for a while, actually. I think um, before Dazzler went all awesome and punk, even though we've seen like three pages of awesome punk Dazzler total, um, I have a problem with that, Marvel, okay? (laughs) They showed that Blob was the one who was guarding Dazzler when they were extracting all the mutant growth hormone out of her, so... Uh, and because of that, he got a quite the appetite. So, Speaking of mutant growth hormone, I love that on the second page, there's like a, it looks like like a homeless uh, mutant just holding a sign that says, we'll reveal identity for MGH. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of, um, you know, I got to say, Mike Del Mundo really knocks it out of the park with this art. Um, he it's did beautiful. The, he also did the color. It looks like Marco Delfonso. Uh was on color as well and it just flows really really great it's definitely worth a uh, a peek for anyone who is interested this book in particular is awesome because anything that has to do with magic is amazing because anybody who can go into like a weird sorcery hell limbo for like seven years and age oddly and then come back oh, after and, seeing uh, like her friends die the bad portions of it inside of her and keep it all under control yeah yeah cool. like obviously clear badass um, Emma Frost, for as much shit as a lot of people talk on her, is kind of great, especially with younger mutants, because she always plays like the house mother, same way that she did when she was in, uh, well, oh. oh my god, it's the Manhattan the Academy. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, because she was kind of like the den mother of that one, too, so she played like the Xavier of the Manhattan Academy, and she like, is like self-serving as she is most of the time, she always gives a shit about younger mutants, so... I like that quality about her. And so whenever she's in a story arc that they get to play that up, I think it's pretty great. That was actually like her big turning point in comics too, because she yep. was just a straight up baddie forever. And like in help. Yeah. Cause the hell club. Like club. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, but then she made, like she formed the hellions and mm-hmm. like, it was to oppose, uh, the new mutants and she actually bonded with them. And like, she gained feelings. It was like the Grinch when his heart grew. Yeah. I love her. I love it a lot. One of my favorite kind of Emma Frost um, arcs as of late 
uh, and I guess it's kind of continued here in the all new X-Men book is her getting to spend some time with the Stepford cuckoos and <laughs> like, you know, them all like sharing a hive mind and um, being like psychically connected and stuff. And I, I love the fact that, you know, you can see that the three, the three girls are very attached to Emma. And then at one point they all kind of splinter out, like two of them dye their hair and, <laughs> Um, you know, it, it's it's just a cool thing to see Emma, like you said, be kind of like the mommy. Um, She's good at it. And her character is made very well with it. So I like yeah, it. Despite what she would probably tell you, right? She'd be yeah. like, no, way, I'm not going <laughs> to be a mom, right? But uh, speaking of another wonderful, badass lady in comics, Jason Latour, Robbie Rodriguez, and Rico Renzi on color. Man, that's book number three for Rico Renzi this week that we talked about. Um, uh, Spider Gwen number two. Uh, I thought we would get Silk number two before this, but hey, lo and behold, I'll take another Spider Gwen book. And uh, <laughs> this one <laughs> is, opens up with, with Gwen selling, uh, not selling, singing to herself in a giant trash barge where she's woken up by none other than Spider-Ham. I love Spider-Ham. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but uh, this book is pretty great. Again, Vulture is like the, what I would say is kind of like one of the main baddies going on. And this one, uh, you get to see a bit more of the people inside of Spider-Gwen's universe. You get to see... Daredevil, I think, right? Yeah, we get to see a little bit of the, or I guess Matt Murdock. And, I don't know, any book that has Spider-Gwen in that fantastic costume, I will just read. I wouldn't even care if it was written by he who was not be, not to be named, but I would still <laughs> oh, read that book. Oh, you're the worst. I, I'm it wouldn't saying, have this pretty of art, that's for sure. It definitely wouldn't, but I, I said he would be writing it, not, not oh. it. Come on. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know we we've been talking a lot more about like art um, and just illustration, and we've been getting better at just mentioning everyone who's involved in the comic. But Rico Renzi, the colors on this comic are fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Um, they're uh, they're just amazing. I love the just like the the really bright pinks, um, like the brighter pink on top of like other pink, and like he uses it for the skyline uh, for the New York. How, the the green that's always around the vulture is uh, another color that like really stands out. I like the backstory that we get a little more on. Uh, well, like we get the lead in to the backstory with Spider Gwen and her dad, and she like obviously uh, he obviously knows that mm-hmm. uh, she is Spider Gwen. Um, two big things though that I really appreciated: Frank Castle being just a cop was awesome um mm-hmm. and it's barely mentioned because matt murdoch like this universe is matt murdoch who is a total evil fucking crazy badass says what does he say he's talking to wilson fisk uh over the phone message received detective castle yeah that, there you go and so that's just like a little we see castle for one panel and then he says that so but just like in the last issue where we see that ben Grimm is a beat cop like, we see that this universe, um, Castle's just a detective. But the entire, like, two pages with Murdoch, he is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to some degree, this talks to what we were talking about with the Marvel, with the Netflix Daredevil, right? Where, like, you know, Matt Murdoch is a lot closer to maybe getting into that gritty, evil side of things than he thinks. I do like the fact that, like, uh, Frank Castle as... Pun- uh, not Punisher, as, like, detective, it threatens to, like, he just, like, rips out his gun, like, immediately in when he's, like, interrogating... Uh, is that Fisk? Yeah, it's Wilson Fisk, right? Yeah. And um, 
you know, it's it's cool to see the extra elements of this thing get uh, kind of play, you know, pulled out and. You know, we get a, a bit more on the Mary Janes. We also get to see that there's apparently Felicia Hardy has the Black Cats as well as a band, which is going on, which is pretty cool. I, I also failed to mention Spider-Ham critiquing the way that Spider-Gwen saved herself. He's like, hey, you know, a, a web shoot would have hurt less, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it's it's very much a good thing. And I hope that we'll get some more of the like Spider-Verse bleeding into this comic because I want more Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man being like her, her just like imaginary guide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super cute. Also when he's eating a corn dog and she gets grossed out cause she thinks he's being a cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> and when he calls her Gwen's day, he also oh. calls her something else too that I was like looking at because I thought it was super adorable. Upsy Daisy, lady Swayze. <laughs> There's that one for sure. <laughs> he also uh... says the vultures getting away. <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's funny because like if i had told anyone like i was talking to someone at work today about this comic and i was like yeah i think my favorite thing about it is that spider ham shows up and they were like what spider ham like really and i was like yeah i've kind of kind of really Parker? like him the spectacular spider ham god uh you mean also- the spectacular the oh, sporktacular Spider-Man? Oh, yeah. Um, and in the panel, I was just looking, in the panel where she's laying on the couch, if you look on the ground, it looks like they're playing in 64. I just wanted to point that out, because there are some very <laughs> particularly shaped controllers on the ground there. And there's a video game poster in the back that says Rocket Racer, who is that really terrible character invented in, like, the mid-'80s. That was a spider ally i guess <laughs> yep that's definitely it definitely looks like it's an n64 but it yeah it's like got this color swapped around or whatever so they don't get sued i guess can Maybe i also like most people don't notice Go ahead. i just want to say for like one second every time we see vulture in spider gwen so far all i can think of is michael keaton <laughs> <laughs> like this my universe... bird just goes there now i can't help it like any kind of bird person i'm just like oh michael keaton solid <laughs> Oh man, it's yeah. a little bit funnier with that lens. <laughs> oh, Kelsey's getting a little roboty there, but Kelsey, okay. you're a robot now. Ha 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 ha! I gave no. you robot disease. You've got no. the metal fever, girl. Metal fever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know, it, it ends like we said with an encounter with uh, Captain Stacy. So we'll get to see some more from Gwen in her universe and. Hopefully it'll continue being amazing. Uh, let's see here. We have Spider-Man and the X-Men number four. Uh, and while the last one took place in the Mojoverse, this one does not, but is still fantastic as Spidey gets to take the crew out on a crime-fighting field trip, it seems like. <laughs> uh, the best part is that they fight my all-time favorite B-list Spider-Man villain, Swarm. Did you say B-list? Oh, God damn it. <laughs> That's my fucking fault. Um, oh, you're my favorite. Swarm is a Nazi made of bees. Uh, and he is just the all-time best worst villain in Spider-Man's entire roster. And that's saying a lot when they're fighting characters such as Melter, 8-Ball, Squid, Killer Shrike, and Delilah. Uh, yep, and they certainly are robbing a bank. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, I like, you know, we get to see, again, we get each of these characters in the team get to kind of have a moment in the sun, so to speak. The book is largely about a science competition between Peter Parker and Hank McCoy with X-Men as team captains. And I think the my favorite part about the whole science competition is when Herman Glob is like wandering around the campus and he's like trying to like look around and find something. And he looks in on Beast's like team of students that are helping him and Beast is like doing all the work and berating them that they don't know what they're doing. Whereas like Spider-Man has like delegated out all the abilities and is like, you know, being a good leader. Whereas Hank's kind of being a pretentious dick bag, which is kind of Hank, you know? I just, when there's a panel where they sit there and I believe they literally like exclaim to each other science off. Yeah. Uh, yeah oh yeah. Beast goes, I challenge you to a science off. And I, um, I love that Peter just accepts it. Like it's a thing that happens all the time. It's like, oh yeah. Science off with Hank McCoy. I love that because people often like, well, I guess not super often, but often enough that I notice it, that people forget that Spider-Man is like a fucking genius and, you know, definitely able no, to... No, that's way more often than, like, it should. Happen. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. people totally forget. Especially, like, I mean, I guess I think some of that is in-universe. People just are like, oh, he's that wisecracking teenage Spider-Man. Like, no one knows who he really is, so... But, you know, too often he doesn't get enough enough love. And also, Shark Girl gets some serious play in this mo- this comic, which is fantastic. It's, it's a great little, like, team-building exercise. I like when they kind of go into, like, the ethics of telepathy and who's allowed to read whose mind and stuff. I love anything when it comes down to, like, kind of the unwritten rules of superpowers. And in the end, it appears that Deathbird, Deathbird has a... Symbiote has, attached to her. Yeah, a Venom symbiote attached to her. And it looks like some of the brood as well are symbioted up. So... This inter this interdimensional portal that uh, Beast's team has assembled has definitely brought more than the Spider Man and the X Men were looking for. Uh, so even though Spider Man and the X Men number four was a great kind of like run through the park, uh, we also had a few more things this week. Uh, Superior Iron Man number six got us to see. Uh, initially, I thought was the softer side of St- of Tony Stark, but uh, turns out he's still an asshole. Um, what a surprise. <laughs> uh, this one involves him kind of having, it's uh, it's like a kid abomination, right? That's Yeah, pretty much. And it yeah. brings him to work <laughs> at Stark Industries, and what a surprise, kid abomination goes crazy, and uh, yeah, it's gets a little out of hand, I think. So, the, um, I mean, I kind of keep forgetting that Tony's still affected by Access um, and the inversion, and I mean, it's him and Sabretooth are basically the main two people because who gives a shit or knows what Havoc is doing? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so like they're the main two people. Um, and I keep forgetting because I feel like mostly I keep forgetting because in the other Avengers book, it, like Jonathan Hickman's like, nah, I don't give a shit about that. Hickman Iron has Man. very, very much moved on to like the world's end storyline. He's like, yeah, no, that's just what we're doing, guys. Like, don't worry about the rest of that. <laughs> so it doesn't matter at all. So I keep forgetting because there's so many damn Avengers book every every week. So until like Superior rolls around, I, I forget. Um, but I really enjoyed this issue because he kind of gets his comeuppance a little um, from Pepper, which is great because he's I, he's basically trying to looks, I mean, like buy someone out. Or he's like he's at a meeting basically, and Pepper um, beats him at the business side of Tony Stark. 
which he's definitely not used to. And then at the very end of the issue, she just starts throwing all of his old armors at him, which is going to be a fun read, I'm sure, next issue. Yep. It is, uh, it's, it's crazy to see Pepper at odds with Tony so hard, but at the same time, it's not. I like the fact that Pepper just, like, buys out Tony at one point. She's just like, yeah, I'm really good at running this company, Tony, and, uh, please leave. Yeah, it's like she buys out Stark Resilient, and she's like, yeah, I own 54% of it, and I took Stark out of the name. (laughs) Technically, Tony did that himself, because he was like, I've got other things to do, but... Uh, you know, it gets to be some pretty interesting stuff uh, going on here. Pepper has rocket-powered high heels, which is certainly a thing. And you know, that's I think, a thing. Yeah, Superman. I think Superior Iron Man has been um, consistently, I think, better than expected until Pepper showed up. This one was a bit of a disappointment to me, but it turned out to be pretty fantastic. So. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Let's see who who's doing the writing on that? It's Tom Taylor, Laura Braga on art, and uh, what Guru EFX is on colorist. Oh, I think that's because I think that's like a nod to the actual canon of the comic. Ooh, and Kells, Mike Choi's on the cover art for this one. Yeah, my Didn't boy. Didn't realize that, but <laughs> looks gorgeous. Um, he can do no wrong, so you know. Speaking of gorgeous cover art, and this one comes from someone who uh, we probably expect it from, uh, Thor number six came out this week. Ah, uh, Dodderman forever, Dodderman. Yes, we finally <laughs> got back Russell Dodderman. This time he did the art and the cover. He's uh, literally gone for like one issue, and we were just total crybabies about it. <laughs> no, we complained, complained about it in both issues. We were like, God, why can't we have Russell Dodderman? <laughs> We were just so frustrating. It's just it's before Thor. If you were like Russell Dodderman, I don't know who that is. Uh, He works for Marvel. Cool. Uh, But now it's like, oh, Russell Dodderman is. I would put him like top top like top ten artists right now. Well, I knew him from Cyclops from that run, but this is just I can't untangle him from Lady Hammer Pants in my brain. Yeah, it it's pretty fantastic. Um, I like that we get. This issue, we get a kind of a look into, uh, what is his name? Adario Roxon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Adario. I think that's his name. Anyways, but the head of Roxon, who is also part demon minotaur, which we found <laughs> yeah. at the beginning of this run, which is pretty great. Uh, I like his, I love his origin story. I like the idea that Malekith points out that like, hey, you know, sometimes magic has a pretty weird, crazy cost and maybe you should be careful. Is he also just like the most cruel and grim fucking thing ever to the people who fucking beat him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get some, real dark. The, we get again, some crazy, glorious Russell Dodderman art, like all of this stuff when we get to Asgard and we have the Odin son and Heimdall talking together by like the rainbow bridge is just so gorgeous. Like Dude, Heimdall cool. has never looked cooler in a yeah. comic book. Like this and is he was literally played by the... Idris fucking Elba. <laughs> yeah. He looks cooler here than when Idris Elba played him. Oh yeah. God, like the, so the, the panel when like when Heimdall is like essentially like whipping out the rainbow bridge and it's like slowly yeah, like forming out. Oh my gosh, Kelsey, that's a different kind of comic, okay? Strictly for mature readers. Okay, you and can again, keep your Idris uh, Elba fic to yourself. Props to Matthew Wilson, the color artist on this one, um, oh, yeah. because Russell Dodderman is um, a fantastic artist, and we can't like talk about him enough, but particularly this Asgard stuff, the colors yes. 
are just beautiful, especially just that that one panel you just talked about, Andy, with the Rainbow Bridge coming out. Just... Yeah, it's on like page six or seven or so. Straight up beautiful. And then that when looking inside of Heimdall's helm too. Like it's just ugh. I love it so much. Yeah, I, and I and I like the you know I like that Thor. Of course, he's like he's like, come on, old buddy, can't you just tell me who Lady Thor is? Come <laughs> on, <laughs> you know. And he's like, oh, you know, there's other things worrying. But Thor proceeds to like punch, <laughs> kick, kill, and <laughs> maim his way through enemies while talking to himself about who uh, Lady Hammerpants just might be. Also, um, can we talk about the introduction of Lord Thunderbridges? Oh yeah, is <laughs> Jane Foster is everything? <laughs> oh man, that was such a sad fucking page. Uh, I know. Ah, uh, his like Thor's like the whole thing sad seeing like Jane so sick. Thor's face after she hugs him is God. just it kills me because it's like like right there without any words like Donnerman just 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 he does such a good job of portraying like Thor realizes like no matter he's so sad because no matter how powerful he is he can't do anything yeah it's like you know and it's not even that it's like it slowly becomes so evident not even just in the way that they like draw the panels but like right after there's like one panel where there's just like a sliver and it's just like a slice of just his like eyes and you can just see it in his eyes like the pain that yeah. he has sitting there next to like Jane seeing her how she is. It's for a brow. Yeah. And I mean, it, it makes sense. Jane, this feels like to me the way that Jane Foster as a character would approach, you know, the situation of breast cancer, right? She wouldn't mm-hmm. want necessarily to cheat her way out with Asgard's magic. And, um, you know, it's, it, I, it was very emotional. <laughs> real, real sad. Yeah. Um, to fix a little bit of that sadness though if we go back to that page where um roxon or whatever is like showing you his like weird ass like trophy room of like his ex uh enemies i would say i guess those are the people who like chased him when he was a kid yeah i don't know if you notice but on the background there is definitely a poster hanging on the wall for house of rocks with the house of cards logo Mm -hmm. on it yep and it's kind of the most ridiculous thing i i love that I really love when Thor's talking to Coulson and he fucking has to tell Toothnasher not to bite at Do not at Agent eat Coulson. Agent Olsen unless yeah. he refuses to be of assistance. I just I, uh, I love like cuz that's such a weird part of the mythology that gets left out a lot, but it's yeah. true like in Norse mythology Thor it flies around on a giant like fucking goat named Toothnasher. And so I just love that he brings him into the fucking helicarrier with him and, and Toothmaster's biting at Coulson. And then he just gets so mad that he breaks the computer when, like, they can't figure out where um, Ra's Solomon is. Yeah, who it looks like she might be Lady Thor. Um, speaking of Coulson and Asgardians for a minute on this week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's pretty great because they brought Lady Sif back for a hot Lady minute. Lady Sif, what up? Who nice. we love. But also, I just always forget that they all refer to him as Son of Cole. <laughs> it fucking kills me every time. Uh, it's just like such a small, stupid thing, but it's so good. Yeah. 
I also like that. I also like that Thor's response to like not getting anybody once is to immediately smash the computer in front of Agent Solomon. Like, <laughs> like what the? He's the best. Um, and it also it really just speaks to um, Jason Aaron that this whole issue, um, like Thor, new Thor is only in it for two panels. Um, and the whole, and it's not even necessarily just Thor too, because we get the first four pages are almost all, uh, Roxxon, and then the last couple are Odin and Freya. Uh, so it really just like speaks to his writing abilities that he can carry this comic with, it doesn't necessarily have to focus on the main character. Yeah. Three panels of Lady Thor, three pages that is counting the back page, you know? Yeah. That's very good. I mean... (laughs) I will say, probably one of the best moments ever is uh, Freya just like cold bitch slapping. Yeah, Odin taking across no the shit. face. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it says smack in large like, green letters. Again, Russell Dodderman just... just so good with that art. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> so rad. Oh, man. And I just love her face. Like, she, dude, she's a stone cold bitch. Like, that's what that face is. It's like she has, it didn't It didn't matter to her at all, that backhand. She was like, this is nothing. Yeah, she's the motherfucking all mother. Like, she's got more important things to consider. So we get, we get again, like we said, just a couple, ish, you know, shots of Lady Hammer Pants. But uh, <laughs> we do get uh, a whole lot of development in the story. We get to see where, like, a whole bunch of the different players in the universe feel about thor and everything going on so it was, it was definitely worth it i i fucking super enjoyed that comic well i did want to at least mention nick spencer uh ramon rosanas ant-man 3 oh fuck i forgot yeah i well i was going through <laughs> oh, right now and i was like i'm, I'm sure that we want to talk loved about it. nick spencer yeah. and uh we get some more of scott lang and uh again Fucking leave it up to Nick Spencer to pull in cool side characters as well. And this time it's Taskmaster who he's running against. It, it's yeah. kind of cool because Scott Lang and Taskmaster really do have some serious history together or against each other, I guess, right? Yeah. And the the best part, though, is that Scott's like, it's my old arch enemy, Taskmaster. And Taskmaster is just like, nah. Nah, you seriously nah. think you're my arch enemy? And he's like, "We have a blood feud. We fought lots of times." And he's like, "We have." And then Scott mentions all the times, like, "Oh yeah, we fought with uh, like I was with Spider-Man and Hawkeye." And he's like, "Brother, I don't know how to tell you this. I was there to fight those guys, the real superheroes." <laughs> it looks uh, so good. And then, like four panels later, Scott tells him that he has a ghost pirate Captain America clone costume with a cape. And uh, punches him in the face while screaming, pick a theme. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, I mean, it's, it's great. I love that it gets to show not only Scott kind of solving problems, but I love any time that they bring Taskmaster up, that it's just an excuse to be like, how many different type of superheroes can he emulate right now? You know, uh, which is, which is great. We get to see him command an army of ants into a hand to wield weaponry to some degree which is pretty great major props to nick spencer where the storyline is going uh he crossfire i think is his name right yeah the the mercenary shows up at the end um and they brought back a villain who has not showed up in comics in a very long time uh i did a little bit of research because they mention like at the beginning of the issue they start uh 
they mentioned that the character was first like or she appeared in Iron Man 131. That was in 1989. <laughs> Holy so crap. that's the year yeah. I was born. <laughs> yeah. So Nick Spencer has a very like vast knowledge of the Marvel universe. Yeah, it's nice to see him kind of um, get into those kind of deep craziness. So the it is Crossfire here, and his uh, that's right, and he's bringing back his like his pops, right? It looks like it, Darren Cross. Yeah, and again, this character that he's bringing back, Darren Cross, he pretty much hasn't showed up since he was apparent. He was supposedly dead. Marvel premiere number forty eight. That's June 1979 when this villain was killed. And it was in a issue of Marvel premiere where he fought Ant-Man. Um, so the fact that like Nick Spencer did so much research into Ant-Man just really shows like his love for not only the Marvel universe, but just for the characters that he's writing. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, again, Darren Cross was involved in saving the life of Cassie in the old continuity as well. So, you know, he, uh, Nick Spencer's doing a great job of kind of pulling from all areas to end up with a comic that has been pretty fantastic all the way through. Uh, last but not least, there's a uh, book from Casanova, or not from Casanova, from Image Comics called Casanova Assedia. Um, this one is written, of course, by Matt Friction and uh, drawn by Fabio Moon. Um, Gabriel Ba also helps out on the art and Michael Chabon, uh, Chabon, yeah, Chabon is helping on writing as well, um, for the like little bit at the end. And I love this issue a, because it's Casanova and B because the colors again are just so vibrant all the way through. I mean, I'm sure I've mentioned this before the last time we talked about this book, but um, if you guys haven't read Day Tripper by Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon, um, go out, buy yourself a box of Kleenex, and then get the uh, trade, sit down, read it, and enjoy the emotional roller coaster that you get taken on. It, it's very clear that Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon are just so on it when it comes to art, and their art style is so vibrant, so lively. Even like a tiny, small panel just has so much motion inside of it that. It looks fantastic. We get a nice little story arc. If anyone has anyone read the original Casanova books, you'll appreciate kind of getting another look into Casanova Quinn and uh, or Cassidy Quinn, that is, and, um, you know, finding out just what's happening with this crazy, crazy fucking world. Um, it's it's great. I loved it. And just to, real quick, it's Chris Peter on the colors. So, Ooh, okay. Uh, yeah. Peter. So props to him. But I agree. Um, I mean, we obviously love everything that Matt Fraction touches. Everything he touches turns to gold, except Satellite Slam. Sorry, Matt Fraction. Um, but <laughs> just couldn't get into it. But uh, yeah, Casanova's a great book. I really do think it helps to read the earlier Casanova yes. to understand what the fuck is going on here because you can still enjoy the comic, but there's definitely going to be a lot of stuff that does not make sense unless you've read like the prior stuff. Uh, but... Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba are they don't do a lot and it's a shame because when they do it's so good. it's it's a masterpiece and I agree Day, Day Tripper is one of the most underrated and one of the most beautiful like things I've ever read in my life 
So, yeah, and them on any book is always going to just keep me absolutely fascinated with it. Uh, I don't even have to read it. I could just look at the pictures and fall in love with everything. Uh, it helps that, uh, you know, Matt Fraction and the uh, Michael Chabon, who, of course, wrote Cavalier and Clay, are writing. So that keeps me interested as well. But yeah. uh, I just can't say enough good things about the creative teams that are tacked onto this book. Yeah, let me just take a second to say that Michael Shabon is amazing. Any writing that he does, I pretty much have enjoyed very thoroughly, including in comics with Casanova and stuff like that. But he's one of like the only, or not one of the only, but like one of like the more prominent like Jewish voices in any part of literature right now, which is pretty great. So, yes, please read this; it's awesome. Yeah, and then go read his books. Yes, support oh, literature, God. please, God. Yeah. I just don't want books to die. Yeah. I also don't want books to die because I'm a creative writing major and I would like to write them and sell them to you for money one day. So please, please. love books, guys. Please, 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 please read. You know, it's um, I will say that when we first talked about Casanova Assetia one, um, I said that, you know, you don't really need to know like the previous stuff. But Ryan's right. Like, especially in this book, in the first one, you could kind of follow the bits and pieces that were going on. You could be like, okay, cool. This is Casanova Quinn. And, you know, he works for Mr. Boutique. And this is the things that happened. But as soon as you get into this book, it's like, whoa, whoa, there's like a whole bunch of stuff that if I hadn't read Casanova, I would be super lost. So sorry, guys, you'll have to go back and read the excellent comic book Casanova by Matt Fraction and Fabio Moon. I know it's a serious chore. There's a lot of good comics out there. But, you know, it'll be worth it in the end. It really will. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Is that on Comixology? Can we pimp that? Ooh, uh, I, think so. I believe so. I also saw recently that Scribd is um, a subscription-based service. Um, recently started holding a bunch of comics as well. So um, I think it's like nine bucks a month for Scribd. If you guys are interested in that, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So if yeah. you guys can and yeah, answer, uh, Casanova and Volume One Luxuria Complete Edition is available on Comixology for nineteen ninety nine. Oh my god, what a deal! So good. Uh, But yeah, so if you guys want to explore more of the universe of Casanova Quinn, please do so. Um, I'll be signing on for the rest of this book because, again, Fraction. So we'll be there along with you guys for the ride. And uh, guys, feel free to let us know, you know, what you guys think of the book um, or what you guys think of any of these books. uh, As unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, this comic book podcast is coming to a close. Uh, we are all out of news to talk about this week and all out of comics as well. If there's anything that you guys feel that we might have missed, please feel free to tweet at the show at 2G1GTalkComics or email the show at twoguysandagirltalkcomics at gmail.com. We'll be more than happy to get right back to you. Uh, we might even answer your question on a future episode of the podcast. Uh, for us, uh, Ryan and I may have a special ancillary episode of two guys and a girl talk comics where uh in we bring in someone who isn't as cute and gorgeous as kelsey but his hair might be sort of getting there we'll see am i getting replaced um but it would be (laughs) yeah this is a way of letting you know that you're getting kicked the fuck out is this Uh, how we find out well read your group messages jeez we just might be actually doing something uh because uh, ryan and i were talking and we've really dropped the ball on covering a lot of the stuff leading up to battle world and convergence and we know that kelsey is not really interested in dealing with going deep on those giant events so we may be enlisting a uh, mystery guest to help 
us sort through that uh, pile of quality comics and totally not bad things. Totally not bad things. But at any rate, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. My name is Andy. Along with me has been Kelsey and Ryan. We are two guys now available and a girl. on iTunes. Yeah, we are two guys and girls talk comics. You can find us on iTunes now by searching two guys, a girl and a comic book podcast. Uh, we are located on there. We've already seen a huge jump in uh, some of the listenership in the last episode and some of the previous episodes that have been provided through the iTunes site. So if you guys, if you love the podcast, it would be awesome for us if you guys would subscribe to the cast. If you feel compelled to, we'd love to hear some feedback from you guys, either through the email or putting up a review on the iTunes site as well. We'd really appreciate it. So until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening and enjoy your comics. To hear more of Two Guys, A Girl, and a Comic Book Podcast, or to share your thoughts and comic recommendations, follow us on Twitter at 2G1GTalkComics. That's the number 2G, the number 1G, Talk Comics. Or if you'd like to email the show directly, you can do so at TwoGuysAndAGirlTalkComics at gmail.com. All letters this time. As always, you can find more episodes of the show by visiting our Podbean at twoguysandagirltalkcomics.podbean.com. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you next time.